Life is one long journey made up of many detours. Some are chosen and some are not, but they all teach us something along the way. Welcome to the Detour Podcast, where conversations about life detours and travel detours converge. It's one part human experience and one part travel experience put together to teach and inspire us to take the detour and enjoy the wander. Listeners, thank you for coming back. This is your host, Sheila Shinsky, and you're listening to the Detour Podcast, where we have stories of inspiration, education, true life stories of people's detours, their life detours, their travel detours, and all of those things that just happen in life that where we have to make a decision because we're on a path we never expected to be on. And today, our guest fits that bill so well. Her name is Lee Tran, and she is a dynamic speaker who's experienced a harrowing journey of escaping Vietnamese communists to seek freedom in the late 70s. You may have heard about that massive wave of, quote, boat people who flooded the news back then. For many decades, Lee struggled to find her voice, and after 40 years, she actually shared her story on the TEDx stage, and now in her book, I Did Not Miss the Boat, Memoir of a Vietnam Hoa Refugee. Through her passages, Leah learned that no matter how difficult your challenges or how dire your situation seems, you have the power to navigate your way through by embracing the unexpected change, exactly what the Detour Podcast is about. If you ride the wave instead of against the wave, you'll find the opportunity among the adversity. Lee's message is to inspire people to find the strength to transform themselves, to step out of the shadow of fear or regret, and to live a life of freedom, passion, and purpose. So thank you so much, Lee, for being here, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Sheila, for having me. What a You're pleasure. welcome. Well, I did listen to that TED Talks that you met, you know, that I mentioned in your introduction. And um, wow, what a story. So I just knew that I wanted to have you um, come on um, and tell us about this story and to, you know, help you promote this book that you're that you have out too, because I think your story will help a lot of people. So I guess maybe we like to start what was life like before the detour? Well, in Vietnam, I don't know how many people actually know what life like in Vietnam besides listen to the Vietnam War and uh, soldier that falling in Vietnam or defending for the Vietnamese in the South uh, against the North of the communists. But um, I grew up, it just, um, I grew up in Saigon. It's very, it's in a city and I don't know anything else but the city, because that's where I was born in. And we had a normal life. Um, yeah, sure, it was un, it's in the civil war and lots of that happened out in the rural, in the countryside. So right in Saigon, we're pretty stabilized. And Hua, I wanna explain, explain Hua is a minority ethnic Chinese in Vietnam. So that's what we are called the Hua people. Hoa not people. H-O-A, not H-O-A. <laughs> okay, so not Hoa, like no, Hoa. Yeah, Hoa people. Okay, Hoa. and so that's people that live in Vietnam, but are Chinese descent. Yes. And that yes. was your family. How many right. people in your family? Uh, we have seven. So I'm the oldest. I have two younger brothers and two younger sisters, not in the same order, but uh, so five of us and my parents. So seven in our, in our family. I'm guessing at some point, like your parents have to make this decision for your family to flee the country. Like, did they Absolutely. talk to you about this, even though you were how old? 16 at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, when the communists took over, I was 12. So old enough to start realizing things are happening gradually, but spinning downward pretty quickly toward the last couple of years. In the beginning, they, they kind of go in progress very slowly because they were afraid of resistance. But after a year, they change it to Ho Chi Minh City. They, they kind of flip around everything uh, from government, the way that they govern, and everything is imposed from the North rule, the Northern rule. 
So like I said, my family was actually very grow up normal, average, um, middle class. So I've never lived a day of lack of food or lack of uh, clothing or, so we, I can't say that we are rich, but we're definitely comfortable. Uh, my dad had built a life um, in Vietnam since when he was three that he escaped China to Vietnam with his parents. And he grew up in Vietnam building from the ground up. And by 40 something, he was pretty, he had a pretty comfortable life. And we definitely had a very comfortable life. And then in, in within years, things have changed really bad. And the Vietnamese people, a lot of time targeting the Chinese minority because they were having friction with China at the time in 1976, 77, 78. So things escalated and they didn't trust any of the minority that live in Vietnam because they were, they didn't know that who's a spies for China or who's, you know, just like yeah. Jewish community in, in America back then mm -hmm, sort of speak. Right. Mm -hmm. So we, um, we were being really oppressed and people would come to your house and start taking inventory of everything you own. And they say that, you know, this is belong to the people. And if they want to take it, they just go in and they ransack and they will confiscate your business, your life saving, anything. So we didn't have a whole lot of a choice. And that's why the big wave of people who are starting doing massive exodus and massive escaping fleeing the country um, by hundreds of thousands and lots of people lost their lives. But my parents make a decision and I was aware of things. And since so many of my friends left, it created a desire for me that I want to leave too. I mean, so they did discuss with me. And my goal is I want to go somewhere that's free, that I can get my education. That was my number one on in my mind that I need to get out of here to have a future so so I can have an education. So that was the ultimate push that we left everything behind and joined force with hundreds of thousands of other people get out in the middle of the night to the boat sail out to the sea. And that was a whole big operation itself that I have mentioned in the book. If anyone interested in the, the detail, I have a lot of detail about the life that we live in Vietnam and why we left and how we left. Wow, that that's so fascinating to me. And I, I can, can't just imagine like being a parent, you know, knowing like things are getting to a point over time and, and being like, yeah. it's not safe for us to stay, like what is the better choice here to stay with what we know or go with, right. we have no idea what we're, we're going right. to. So you did wind up getting on the boat and briefly some things happened there tell us what that was like yeah so i i want to say that to the point that you were talking about how hard it is for parents to know that they have to take off and uh like i said we're very lucky my family um we we always have a lot of you know saving and things that my parents are super frugal so we were having enough uh, money to buy our passage for the whole family but many, many, many family could not afford to do that because it's expensive. You have to buy your port from the government who semi-legally let you go out and then either jail you or either catch you. Uh, you don't know. I mean, you know, this is all by chance. You buy your port from a local government and if you get out, you get to a different uh, place, you get caught, that's your own fault. Um, they will put you in jail. But anyway, many family could not afford it and they just have to send the best children, the oldest to get out. And luckily we were able to go out. We left as a whole family. Uh, and my dad said, if we all die, we're gonna die together. Mm. And, um, and because we could afford to do that. But I, I wanna say that many people could not understand why people sent the children to the border by themselves. I wanna say that um, many people approach me and say that how, how could parents do that? How could parents you know, love their children and let their children go out crossing the border illegal and, and not knowing that what's gonna kill them? And I wanna tell people out there that those kind of parents are the parents really love their kids because they don't, I mean, if you have a house that's on fire, you don't keep your kids inside the house to die with you. You push them out the door and hopefully that they will able 
to find a way to survive. And that's what many people did. Um, that is called bravery with love and love with bravery because you have to do that in order to secure a future for them because staying behind, there's no future. As a very desperate position to be exactly. in. And uh, my goodness, I mean, the stress of even just not even being in a situation, maybe sending your kid off to college is, <laughs> right. is a huge enough yes. heartbreak. And, and yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm releasing this child of mine, my heart into the world. And I can't even imagine in that kind of situation, um, you know, making it, that decision. It definitely, um, the hope is something that they cling on to. But knowing that could be the last time seeing their family. And even our whole entire family get onto the boat with other 500 people that will get on the boat that we left Vietnam. That is a death sentence that we are willing to take because we know that you know maybe 50, 50, or even 80, 90, 90, 10, that we might die in the ocean without any rescue from international merchant boats or any boats out there. So that's kind of chance that we know that either we're gonna stay and have absolutely no future, or we're gonna take that 10% chance of hope and just let God direct the fate of whatever we have. Oh. Gosh, yes. I already feel emotional. We're like five <laughs> seconds into this interview and I'm like, okay, I can't take this. Um, okay. So your family does get on the boat all together. Yeah. We um, were you able to stay together? We were, but uh, like I said, on my TEDx, there's one moment uh, we get four time encounter with pirates um, when we pass by the Gulf of Thailand to get out to the China South, uh, South China Sea. And we have um, been raped four times. And one time absolutely uh, terrified me because I was pushed in one boat. My mom and dad were two separate boats. My, one of my brother is with my dad and two of my younger sister and my youngest brother with my mom. So my family literally was split into three different boats so they can strip search people. They can, you know, clean up the boat to see if there's any hidden gold or treasure. I mean, clean up, clean up the treasure, not clean up in the way. Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they weren't gonna swab the deck. They were, they were looking for, no, yeah, right, looking yeah. for treasure. I got you. <laughs> but um, so that was really, really terrified. Um, but like I said, you know, there's, there's good cop, bad cop, good pirates, bad pirates. Luckily, that's all they're after. Uh, we, we get lucky. Many boats, other boat people that we know that they got raped, they got taken women to a remote island and they kill people. Luckily, even four times, I got slapped on my face and, you know, people got uh, assaulted physically, but, but we are survive. They put us back on our boats after they took everything they needed and um, they wrecked pretty much everything, all the food, all the drink. They just want to make sure that um, they're not killing you directly, but they want you to die, not to survive, to tell the international about their crimes. Do you know um, who, who the pirates were? Like what country that you don't well, know? Well, they're Thai. I know mm -hmm. that I, I'm saying that because not all Thai people are bad. I think of this, course uh, not. Yeah. I, I think this uh, uh, opportunist of mm -hmm. fishermen that they just see the opportunity. So instead of fishing for fish, which is very hard labor, now you can get a quick a quick way of making money because all these vulnerable people who left Vietnam with possession. I mean, like people yeah. sell everything and they, they don't know what's going to happen to them. So they bring a lot of goals, dollars, you know, it's like things, whatever they, they can do. And that was just a quick way. And, and that's why, and it started to grow. I mean, one boat did it and then they tell their friends and the next thing you know, you know, the, you've got pirate in every corner. It's waiting for all this prey. And that was really big back then in the late 70s, uh, early 80s. And it's up to the point that uh, I think 
uh, the United nation have to, to make some sort of plan to rescue all this um, boat people because they were being assaulted so frequently. Did you know where you were going to go? So were your passes for like, we're trying to go to America well, we just, or wherever? No, no. I mean, th okay. that was in the, that was in the um, South China Sea. So we know that if we get out to the international water, our hope is big merchant boats from any country, European country, Singapore country, you know, any Malaysia is, I think most of the people think that they can reach Malaysia within a week or two, depending how bad the storm, the weather, the sea, and the pirates. Or if, they, if the pirate just kind of like, for our boat, our pirate just um, took the compass and, and destroyed the, the, <gasps> the engine. So you have absolutely nowhere, you don't know, you are a speck, you are a little speck in the huge ocean and you don't have a compass. So um, many boats die because of that. But um, no, you just, you just have no direction. You hope that somehow you'll get to Malaysia or Indonesia. But the biggest hope is somebody please out there see us and have the humanity that want to save us. And, and many people did get saved by, you know, Belgium ships. And that's what my cousin was out in the little boats. I think, I don't know, less than a hundred people or so. And they were at sea for almost a whole month. Oh my goodness. And they bump into the Belgium ship and the Belgium people sponsor them. So, mm. I mean, there's hope story. That's the hope story. And then mm. there's a dead story that people, you know, okay, that boat just sank. You know, there's a lot of underground BBC um, people always looking for news underground because nothing get broadcast in the, in the daylight. So it's just a, a very, very dark mo uh, period in our lives. Okay. So you did um, get rescued though. You did bump into... We How did got, you get out of the water? <laughs> well, we, we bumped into an oil rig. An we were oil at the, rig. Yeah. Like I said on my TEDx talk, I described that we were out seven days. And at that time, we got four times raided by pirates and no food, no water. At one point, I was temp I was actually not tempted. I did. I scooped seawater to drink because that's how thirsty I was. Mm. Um, and... And we kind of gave up because we didn't, our, our engine broke. There's a little leak in the, the hull of the, of the boat that my dad knew about it, but he was just sticking shirts and something just to hope it holding. Um, so we had no food. We have no compass because they destroyed the compass. The engine's broken. There's a little hole in the boat we were floating and after we got to Malaysia being pulled out from the Malaysian Navy boat because they were overcrowded in the refugee camp. So they pulled us out back to the ocean and we thought we we're done. We're done. They pulled we, you back out to the ocean because yeah. they were like, sorry, no, no room exactly. at the inn. You got to go somewhere else. Exactly. How long had you been on the, on the boat at that point? Um, so we got to Malaysia as like on the fourth day or the fifth day and then they pull us out and then we were floating for another day or two. So on the seventh day, uh, we woke up thinking we're done because we were just completely at the end of the rope. And then we saw an oil, an oil, oil rig. rig. Oh my goodness. An oil rig floating in the middle of somewhere. And they saw us, they spotted us and we spotted them, but they cannot, they couldn't rescue us because they are not in that position. Right. So what they did is they just passed the water hose. I remember all the hoses come down and I just grabbed any container and I drank like I never, I'm like, I drank as much as like, you know, like I could until yeah. my stomach bloated. I cannot drink anymore. Um, and they, they gave us some crackers and that was the sweetest crackers ever. Oh. And then they gave us a compass and they couldn't save us but they pointed us to the nearby um, refugee camp in Indonesia, which is a newer camp that they start still taking people. 
and they pointed us and they say that it wouldn't take you more than like seven hours or eight hours to get there. So we got there before the night call. So it was, it was the last drop of hope. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I'm like, I don't even have words for the reaction that I'm feeling right now hearing this. Eventually though, you did make your way to America. How did that happen? You had to apply. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So there's so many. Yeah. So it's, it's, that was just, uh, you know, the first hurdle to get out of a boat and be able to stay on land and, and the journey was rough. The journey take a long time. We got stuck in the refugee camp, five different refugee camp that we moved from refugee camp to refugee camp, uh, depending on the, the status of where you are, because you got interview. And since my dad was, uh, was a soldier in the old Vietnamese regime, so he got a priority that American would take them, to, would take mm-hmm. us because, you know, uh, it's refugees like a sorting hat place yeah. what country is going to sponsor how many and what criteria they're going to take you uh, i have a bunch of my cousin they were minor so they got sponsored by the germany um, germany would take all the kids under 18 or under 20 so so you know and then and then family with a lot of female uh doing productivity time, <laughs> Australia would sponsor them. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, so, so yeah, each wow. country give out a criteria. This is so crazy. Um, and goodness. I was young. I didn't know much, but I know that much, you know, like Denmark would take some, Sweden would take some, uh, Norwegian would take some. So everybody was trying to chip in and do a little bit of a humanity work but American United States take the most because um, anybody has a relation or working uh, with the old regime, American um, feel like they, I think they have the obligation to help and I'm glad they did. And I have to say that I have to thank President Carter because that was on his way out of his office Mm -hmm. and he makes sure that lots of boat people refugee being sponsored and being taken by being by the American by United States, so we yeah. were lucky. I um, was really I was born in seventy three, so I was obviously really young. But I was starting to, at that time to probably be what what would I be in in still grade school, but maybe like fourth or fifth grade or something yeah. like that. I can remember a little bit about it, but still being kind of too young to sort of. understand what was going on you know but i do i do kind of remember that a little bit of um these people yeah i think that's from these boats and i didn't really know what it meant but yeah yeah it flooded Mm -hmm. the news i'm sure because that is a big thing and it's it's um i think the whole world is trying to scrambling to see how they can help all these helpless people that who are just keep um, risking their lives and it's just floating in the ocean. They don't care if they die in the ocean, what well, they do. But yeah. the hope is somebody would spot them and take them. That risk is worth it when, the, when it on succeeds. the other side, yeah. <laughs> yeah, on the other side is so, so bad. You're willing, like you said, to die in the ocean. I mean, right. It's like, and I'm glad that my parents took that chance because I wouldn't have today. Uh, I don't know what would happen if I you know, I got trapped in Vietnam. I think Vietnam now is very prospered. It's very different. And, um, and I, I still don't see myself being there. Yeah. Uh, for 40 years, I have not gone back. And uh, it's something that I'm going to have to work towards to just make peace with myself in that area to, to go back. You feel like a part of you wants to go back for a visit, but maybe, um, You're not, not ready to. I, I am actually. What do you mean by that? Um, I, the Vietnam right now, I, to me, is very, very different from the Vietnam that I left. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I, I don't know. Nothing over there is the same anymore. My mom had went back maybe half a dozen times, and I asked her to take pictures, and like nothing really create any old memory for me because the whole country have changed, and the younger generation had no idea what's going on with with that 
era with that part of the history. So I think, you know, um, and the communists is, is have their own of education. So whatever they, I don't want to say brainwash, but <laughs> whatever story much, they yeah, want to whatever tell. indoctrinated yeah. into mm -hmm. their brain is the reality now. So I mean, I'm glad that the 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 country have been prospered and it's mm -hmm. get out of a lot of the the poverty back then. But to me, I might want to come back with my son just so he knows that where his roots is from. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I don't see, and, and I'm actually apprehensive thinking about going back. I, I get stressed because mm -hmm. all those fear, all those things that, you know, in the past just kind of reoccur. It just kind of trigger back. So yeah. I don't want to go vacation for stress unless I'm really, <laughs> really ready and looking forward yeah. to it. So to yeah, I, yeah <laughs> to process that part of you and be like you right. said, you know, cl close the door on it in a sense. And yeah. And B, do you feel like um, you have um, lingering trauma from that? I mean, that was a oh, very yeah. traumatic thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you've been in America for 40 years. So this is. Well, what I what I have wrote in the book is more than just uh, the war, the political trauma. Uh, mm -hmm. I have to say that the trauma is passing from my dad generation because he was he himself was a refugee mm -hmm. and he never really had time to to decompress whatever trauma that he had and as as a great father as he was um he also giving us a lot of damaging belief as a as a PTSD person and I think you know mm -hmm. uh, I have I have carried that cross for a long time not speaking about it and i think the the thing that it i want you to read the book but i'm gonna yes, give you yes, some yeah. of the things uh -huh. <laughs> i'm giving this. you right because um i i'm making peace with my dad by writing this book by trying to understand who he was because mm -hmm. we came to america for less than seven years and he passed away mm -hmm. so um and it's very very unexpectedly so that is another big detour in my life um the the detour that we took getting out of vietnam was not affecting me as a person as a detour that my dad just suddenly died and i was the oldest and then suddenly i have become the person who's responsible for my family for my mom's well-being and my younger brothers and sister and i was really i was in college i was i was gonna say i'm trying right. to do math if you left at 16 and you were here for seven years well here's another here's 20. another irony for you here's another <gasps> secret that you are gonna find out when you read my book um i'm not my identities are messed up too oh so when you read the book that is something that I want you to find out because uh, the age doesn't add up in oh, your mind. No. So, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so yep. there's another, another surprise factor uh, why it took me so long to tell the story because the story is rather complicated. Mm. And it's, there's many twists and turns. And it takes me a long time to actually to embrace myself to embrace what I was thrown into that I didn't have a choice to decide for what I want to be or what, you know, but at the end, I think it's all good because I am benefiting with so many things. The, the good is outweighing the bad. The good is always outweighing all the stuff that I have to been through. And I think with anything in life, if you're looking at adversity and you draw out the positive that come from it, you will feel like all the worst thing in, that happened for a reason because you are who you are today because you are brave enough to accept it, to embrace it and say that that's part of me. <laughs> yes, you don't. We don't always get a choice on our, our path or what life throws at us. And right. um, but where we can make the choice is how we're going to respond to it. And that's not easy sometimes it no. doesn't feel like you have a choice sometimes you feel very consumed by whatever you've been through whether it's right. mild or traumatic you know right. something like you've been through that is where we get to 
grab some of that power mm-hmm. and embrace, um, like you say, that bravery. So where did you wind up when you did come to America and you started building this life? And I know you'll have more details in the book, but I think well, you were trying to go to Hawaii, <laughs> weren't you? <laughs> we try. I didn't even know where Hawaii was. You know, I, I was 16. I had no ever. I've never studied American history or, or the map of, you know, all I know is um, Hawaii is warm. That's so they, yeah. So they asked you on the form, you know, what's your preference? What's your number one preference? And I talked to my dad and my dad's like, I don't know. So I say, let's do Hawaii because I, I hear Hawaii is very warm. And yeah, of course, uh, we went to the Hawaii in America, which is called Minnesota. No. <laughs> that is not <laughs> nice. That is not nice at all. On, on, no offense to Minnesota. I no offense. I love Minnesota. There. Oh, my but God. It's not warm. It is not warm at all. Well, it's not bad in the summer. But the thing is, we were there on January 3rd. Oh, Lord. <laughs> You and have- we get, you know what? I was at all. I loved it though. I loved it yeah. because it, it feels so tranquil. It's just like it's real. You you get off the airport, you step into the car, which we didn't even know. You know, they were heated airport, and when we walked into the garage, we still didn't see snow. And I was perplexing. It's like, oh, this looks nice. It's warm until the car pulled out of the garage, and I see a blanket of white everywhere it's like the ocean of snow but it's just so beautiful and when you were young cold is not like a big factor i mean you actually love it because you can play snowball you can do a lot of things uh, i couldn't stand it now because i'm much older <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't tolerate it as well when you get older <laughs> yeah um but that was the, the beautiful the most beautiful six months that um, I think that my family actually get to debrief. Uh, my family get to purge all the stress because we were landing into this very tiny town, less than 700 people in the middle of nowhere. And wow. we got a community that just loved us, embraced us. And, you know, we had absolutely no stress. And it just—it's just so nice to be pampered, to be loved, uh, even though that we look completely different from the the Norwegian descent, the Vikings, the people that in Minnesota is our blonde, blue eyes, and you know, fair skin. Yeah. But they love us like a family, and um, we we're just absolutely grateful for for what they have done for us. And and I have been actually reconnected with a, quite a few family. Um, when I wrote my book. So that was just a really beautiful full circles that I would be able to connect with them and they were able to read my book. So I'm, That's I'm so blessed. That's incredible. That is so, so cool. I'm so happy that you were embraced because sometimes we hear about refugees coming into communities and yes. they're, and they're not accepted right. and um, they're, you know, shunned Absolutely, or discriminated right. against or yeah. or whatever so i'm i'm so glad that your family experienced welcoming love yeah we we were blessed we got a very very um exceptional welcome uh the relationship and um the only downfall is it's a small town and didn't have enough job for both my parents so uh, my mom couldn't find job so six months later we packed up and we just left to go to philadelphia and then the reality hit the reality hit because we are no longer in a protective bubble philadelphia is much bigger than 700 people <laughs> and there's a lot more refugees so i mean people are compassionate fatigue because oh, you know, I when see. you're in a small town, you you are one of a kind, so you, you get a little more royal treatment. But when you are a city, there's so many refugees, and it's so many. You know, it's understandable. So, mm-hmm. um, but we survive and we thrive. <laughs> and so, at one point, you said that you felt like you were surviving, but not necessarily thriving, as you 
got a little older, you, you were in a corporate environment. You did get that education that you were looking for. You got a great job and were in that um, corporate setting for 17 years, but you kind of chose to make another detour. So you had a lot of detours that you didn't have a lot of choice in. And then now yeah. you're on a detour that right. you, you chose, right? Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, so, so there's many stages in my life. The first part is I was throwing in things that I did not anticipate. I kind of know what to expect because I'm the oldest. So I'm always in the conversation with uh, whatever my parent planned. They always sort of like, sort of like involve me. Um, and, you know, all the uncertainty that we don't know where we're going to be, what we're going to, what country, how all of those are unexpected. And then I get to the point of 17 years that I, I felt that I'm settled. I, I don't want any changes. I'm comfortable. I am in the dream job that most people want to just get in and then retire at the same place, right? That's the American dream. You go to school, you get a good degree, you get a good job, and then you, you uh, work hard and you um, rise in the, within the company and then one day you retire from there. Uh-huh. But things have changed. And I felt like after 17 years, I was unsettling because I felt like I have missing out. Things that I did not even give a chance for me to explore. And I decided that I was going to create a change myself. So this time I'm in more, I'm more in control because financially I'm a little, you know, much more advanced than, than we first came to America with two penny. We don't even have two penny rubbed together, but mm-hmm. now I have a saving and I have uh, some stock options and I have, you know, like I have a severance of 10 months um, that I volunteer from a, a layoff that could give me a little cushion to build up my own business, uh, even though it's still a risk because, you know, now you don't have healthcare, you don't have all the insurance, life insurance, you know, all kind of stuff. And I've never been in business before, but I'm, I was willing to take that chance because I think that I don't want to miss out what else is out there. But if I work, I know that if I work hard, which I did all my life, I will not fail. If I diligently do research and everything that I want to do, I will get gain information. And if I surround myself with the people that that help me, and you know, it takes time. You know, it's just like I was still very in comf- Not I, my confident level was not anywhere near that I want to say that is good enough. But after three years, after the recession hit in 2008 and I quit my job in 2006 my company almost will belly up because you know everything stopped nobody's spending on decorating their home uh, my business was a custom window drapery custom okay. window treatment and um, so in a sense that it taught me how to go out and networking and how to uh, do marketing and how to ask and how to build relationship with clients. So it took me uh, a few years to get myself to the point that I'm comfortable to be uncomfortable. Like mm. I am start going outside and creating the change for myself, for my clients, for the people that I'm surround myself with. In that process, did you, what, how did you arrive to that? Like these acts of bravery, did you help yourself? Did you have any like therapy or counseling uh, mentors? Um, did I, you just I, try to like fake it till you make it kind of thing oh, or all of the above, all yeah. of the above. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the only thing I didn't have is a, uh, a council, uh, or a, um, I, I've never gone to a, uh, I think I'm still bearing a lot of PTSD by myself at night when I have a stress or have uh, something that I need to do. I used to take it out on myself, but I am a big investor in education and I, I pay money to learn. I pay coaches. I learn, I take classes, I buy online courses, I do everything I could. I sleep, breathe, eat with whatever the goal that I want to achieve. I don't, I don't take any time for granted. So I would work like maybe 16 hours a day and sleep four hours, you know, like I would do everything to achieve to the point that I know that I am getting to the point that is excellent or not even, 
you know, I'm always trying to achieve excellence. It doesn't mean that I get there, but my mind is I can always do better. I can always improve. I can always learn from someone that's better than me. So, um, and then the other courage is um, public speaking. It's the biggest thing. And I think going out networking, uh, take part in Toastmasters, and I joined the BNI, which is like the networking group. And courage and, and bravery doesn't just take one shot. It takes you many, many repetitive time, many increments, like you do a little bit, and then tomorrow you do a little bit more. And that's how I built my courage and I built my bravery. And <laughs> that's, that's how not- you have to defeat fear, to be honest, right. whatever it is, because you have to... Because sometimes that anxiety can be crippling. Like you feel like you're really going to die. Like I might die or I'm in mortal danger here. Like your body responds in that kind of stress way, that fight or flight. It doesn't know that you're not being chased by a tiger, but it feels like you're being chased by a tiger. Right. And the only way you really overcome that is by doing the thing, surviving, and then your brain going, we didn't die. Right. We might be able to do that again because we didn't die last time. And I think, you know, when you get older, it helps too. <laughs> You're like, what do I have to lose? What the heck? The thing yeah. is like, I, I think it, as a human being, we are afraid of people judging us, right? Mm-hmm. We are afraid of saying the wrong thing. And that's the biggest fear. What if I say something and somebody laughing at me? Or, But when you get to the point that you say, well, in order to save my business, I have to step up. And if and and you can't take it personal because not everyone's gonna be your clients, not everyone's gonna be your friends, not everyone's gonna agree what you say. So you get to the point of wisdom, say that, you know what, I'm gonna attract the people who attracted to me, and I'm willing to let the people who do not buy from me, who do not like me because, you know, I'm not their type of personality or Uh something. You just have to say, let it go. And Mm -hmm. it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) There's, I don't know what the, I think there's what, 6 billion people in the world. Surely there's some. Almost eight now. Is it eight now? Almost eight now. Seven seven point something. You're right. You're right. Okay. So out of 7 point (laughs) billion people, even if you've got 1 million of them. Oh my God. That's like, you know, know, a billion is a lot. I can't imagine anyone. Yeah. I can't imagine anyone not liking you, Lee. I oh, think you're delightful you. and oh, very inspiring you. and thank we want to support you. So tell us specifically what you're doing now and how we can support you. And we'll fill in all the um, ways to contact you oh, before you. we wrap up our interview today. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to uh, speak to your audience. I really am appreciate that. Um, second of all, um, my message, that's what, why I, wrote the book because I want to inspire people to not miss the opportunity. I mean, we all have opportunity. The detour is a great logo or or slogan because we all have been into the point that we have to recalculate, right? I don't know. Mm -hmm. People don't remember the word recalculate, but GPS back then, it's like recalculate, recalculate, right? Yes, you did. Recalculate. (laughs) Calculating. <laughs> right. So um, we we are at the point that either we embrace it or we're just going to be froze up and let the fear swallow us. And my book is to inspire people that no matter how difficult the situation, you still have a choice and you can surround yourself with people that lift you up and you can be that model to lift other people up too because every time you lift other people up, you get up with them. And, and the book is to not just to tell my story, but also to tell the journey, how I twist and turn, how I turn the situation around in each and every turn. May not be because of my desire, but maybe because of the survival skill. But now I'm using that survival skill to do it by design. So I create the change uh, because I know how to maneuver the change. And you can buy my book on Amazon. Um, either um, through Kindle or through paperback. Now, for the month of 
November because it's a Thanksgiving month and I want to um, also be really appreciative. So if you buy two books for your friends on my website, not on Amazon, because I can't do a sale on Amazon, but you go to leetran.com, you buy two books to gifts for your friends, you will get a book that gifted from me to you. So you buy that two, is, get one free. What I mean, we are in that gift buying season. So yes. buy two books and then get one for yourself. So if you are going to, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, I'm going to get Lee's book, I know I'm going to get it. So I'm going to definitely order one. I might as well order two and then I will get that one for me. Right. Well, I'm you're thinking, I mean, you're, you're thinking you're not even get one for yourself. I will give you the one that you want, <laughs> but you are gifting two, two. of your friends right. to inspire them to yes. do the things that they didn't think that they could do, or, you know, COVID is holding people back and COVID is, is crippling people's fear. We can turn this into the opportunity. I, I use this opportunity to write my book and then connecting to Sheila because we have a different, I mean, that's another story for another day. But there's so many opportunity out there. Uh, and I am also collaborating with some uh, organization to help refugee students in Malaysia. Right now we're talking into it. So there's, so if you want to connect with me to follow me, know more about stuff that you can help or you can be part of, just go to leetran.com and opt in. But for now, for the month of um, November, if you buy it on my website and give me the name and I will personally autograph the book and send it to you. Uh, so you give two for your friends and you get a gift from me to you. So that's wonderful. Everyone should just do that. Just do the minute after you're done listening to this podcast, just go right to Lee's website, leetran.com. And I'll have that link in the show notes. You can also connect with her on her Facebook page at Lee Tran Author. Uh, a private group called Don't Miss Your Boat on Facebook. Yes, I am actually doing the Q&A uh, second Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. So ask the author anything. So Sheila's got special because she can ask me anything on this <laughs> podcast. But if you read the book and you have more questions, you can come on live and ask me anything once a month. I'm going to have that um, Zoom meeting and we're going to go face to face and you can actually ask me anything. That's and you can share your story too. And if I can help in any way, shape or form, I would love to get to know you and see what, you know, I can help you with. And then LinkedIn, Lee Tran author, Instagram, I did not miss the boat. And of course on YouTube, you can watch her TED talk like I did. She also interviews people who have a thriving story that they want to share. Um, I was actually on Yay! that. Can I, can I say the thing? Yes. Okay. It's called um, a thriving conversation and it is also a private Facebook group. So you would have to be added to that. But when you're on there, then you can um, go back and see my interview. And they do that every weekday at 5 p.m. on Facebook. So she'll be um, getting ready to do that later. And you do that with a uh, mutual friend who was also on the Detour podcast. We did an episode August of 2019 with Sarah M. And she talked about surviving the killing fields of Cambodia. So that's a different refugee story, but you two partnered right. up and do that private group <laughs> I said well. when the jungle meet the ocean, because she <laughs> Escape out from the jungle route, and she I escape. So I say, when the jungle met the ocean, we just have so much to talk. We have to have a show together. <laughs> That's so great. I love that, and that happened through uh, networking too, didn't it? That no, I met oh. her, and I reach out to her, and I say, I'm gonna do this. Are you coming <laughs> on board with me? And she's like, Okay, okay. <laughs> oh my goodness, so, That's so. So great. it's been fun. We have done it since March 24th. Yes, yes, I remember that. As soon as it locked down. Right. And that's very brave to be um, giving that commitment every single day. That is very That's brave. an opportunity you can create. Anybody can create, right? That's so true. That's yes. so true. Well, you certainly, as you said earlier, developed some 
survival skills that I'm going to create a new word that you now impart thrival skills because it's not just survival skills anymore. You're helping people through your book, through your work and through everything that you're doing to thrive in their life and to not be afraid um, and to overcome any barriers they might have. And if people, if Lee can do it, you can do it. Goodness sakes. I don't think Thank one you. of us has probably and- <laughs> been through a third. Right. Well, you know, and I'm also a speaker. So if any organization uh, need uh, inspirational speaker, I, I'd love to come in and inspire and not just inspire, but give direction of people, how they can change. And, um, you know, like you, Coach we are along. thriving. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm coach them along. Hey, and that's, that's how we learn. We learn the best. Um, we, what is that saying? We, um, teach what we have to learn and then, right. Well, we teach. Yeah. I mean, it's like every time you teach, you learn something. Exactly. And so, um, these things, although Lee's story might be very dramatic and definitely, um, not what everybody has gone through the basis behind it is struggle that's been overcome and that is something everyone can do that little 10% of hope that can just keep you striving through whatever it is uh and we're we're all feeling some kind of that you know in our world today yeah. so thank you lee for the work that you're doing and thank you for being on the podcast today any last thank words thank you thank you for having me and i hope everybody take that detour as a positive things because God doesn't give you a detour without a purpose. So grab that purpose and make something out of it because you can do it. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Lee, and <laughs> thank everyone, you, Sheila, thank you for listening again. Remember, take the detour and enjoy the wander. It will get you a little while to get to that um, end mark. But if you can at least look back at some point like Lee said, and follow her advice, you will see that so much good can come out of adversity. So we appreciate you all listening today and Lee for being here. Everyone have a beautiful day and see you next time on the Detour Podcast. for listening. You can follow, interact, and ask questions about this episode and others on our Facebook page, The Detour Podcast, and on Instagram at Sheila Shinsky. To hear more conversations like this one, you can listen to all of our episodes on The Detour Podcast channel on Podbean. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. So be sure to share this episode with a friend who loves podcasts too, and rate, comment, and subscribe yourself. So you can join us next time as we take the detour and enjoy the wander.